Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> well, it is a joy to be with you all this morning. And uh, so uh, this Tuesday will be the anniversary of us coming to officially come to join Haven when my first day was September 1st here at Haven. So uh, that will be uh, the first day uh, coming this week. So looking forward to that and so thankful to be with you all. It is such a blessing to be your pastor and to pastor you. Um, I have been so uh, blessed and it's such a privilege um, to serve you. And I just, I know this year all, all kinds of things have happened, uh, but I've been delighted to be able to get to know you all better this year. And I am grateful for you and I love you all. So, um, well, let's, let's turn then and let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get into the word this morning. Father, we come this morning and this Lord's Day, we come recognizing that all of these things, and even as we said that we will glorify our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we were saying this is what we will do. We were even praying that that's what we would do as a church and those also online as they would sing. And so we come, Father, and we pray that that is what we do this morning. We glorify your great name. We lift up your name in the midst of what, all these things in the world that we would continually recognize that our peace is in Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And we don't just say that for fun, but we mean that. And we pray that, even as you call us to do, we come with prayer and thanksgiving, thanking you, Lord, for your immense grace that you show us the immense sacrifice of your Son demonstrating your love for sinners that are not worthy of this kind of treatment. Lord, you have been good to us and you are good to us. God, you are true. So help us know you are true even now, even this day. Help us to know that um, and even consider and think upon those things that are honorable rather than being carried away with this world. May you help us to know that you are just and that you will always be just and that in Christ your justice is even there on display. That your justice will be satisfied through Christ for our salvation. Thank you, God, that you are pure and you call us to have minds that are pure, lives that are pure. Thank you that you are lovely. Help us to see and think on those things that are lovely. Help us to think on those things that are commendable. Help us to think on those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, this morning in the midst of all kinds of things going on. Our eyes would be on you. So help us, Lord, think on these things. 
be with us, be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 7. And we will be looking at here verses 14 through 24. Now, as you know, right now we are in the midst of a nation that is being torn in all variety of directions. I hardly need to say it because you know it. Amidst a pandemic, the tension in our nation is high. And alongside this, there are real racial tensions, there's real unrest. And, of course, there is the looming presidential election. So this morning, I want us to kind of come out of the fog of all of that and tune our hearts, our minds, to hear words of truth, to hear words that provide the proper perspective, words of life, words of rest, And words that direct us towards aims and goals that show what our manner is to be in the midst of all of these things, all of these tensions, all of these things going on in our world right now. So while various opinions rage around us, Jesus is calling us to recenter church. Perhaps you've been just kind of taken up with all of it. We will glorify the Lord of Lords. We will glorify the King of Kings. So he is calling us to not judge by mere appearances, but to judge with right judgment. So let us turn here then to our passage this morning and receive the words of God in the midst of the fog. Let's kind of come out of the swamp of the despair of the world and take hold of the word of God this morning. And then let us watch and see how God will use this word and use that gospel as we go out and see what he will do and to move governments and nations and all peoples to the life and hope and true rest that is found alone in Jesus Christ. So here is him who is true. May God bless the reading of his word above all words. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not my own. But his who sent me, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, 
and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So as we come to our passage this morning, if you, uh, just a a side note as we go into it, uh, last night, if you downloaded the sermon notes online, I have adjusted those a lot this morning, so you'll be uh, following a different set of notes if you didn't download the ones this morning. So just follow along if you want, take notes, but if you want those, you can see those online. So that's an aside, just to point that out as we come to our passage. So last week we began this chapter, and uh, chapter 7, and we saw that though urged by his brothers to go up to this feast, Jesus, he is set under the agenda of the Father. And as we saw this feast, it was a solemn, holy feast. It was a special feast for the Israelites. And the Feast of Booths commemorated what God had done for Israel. How he had delivered them. And and they're recalling their time in the wilderness when they went about in booths and in tabernacles And when God, he led them through all of that. And yes, there was some grumbling with all that too. But they are remembering what God had done and bringing them through all these things. But now, under the agenda and timetable of the Father, Jesus, he has went up to the feast. Though he went before privately, now, at the right time, he goes, even in the midst of the real intent to take his life, and he begins teaching in the temple. So lest we think for even a moment that Jesus lived contrary to the fear of the Lord, well, that's why he went up privately. He was afraid. Well, no, that's not the case. That wasn't why he delayed his going in private. It was not due to any fear of man, but out of the truest, true fear of the Lord, out of adoration and love for his father. His father said, it's time. And now he goes and he goes privately. And now he goes very publicly to teach in the midst of the same people who want to kill him. And so he goes and he teaches in the midst of these killers who are readying their hammers and nails for crucifying him, as they will do. We aren't told here what Jesus teaches, but Jesus wants all to know, and he puts this forth again and again in our verses this morning, that he is true, he is authentic in every way. So it is then that we see our first point this morning, that Jesus is true. And we see this throughout these verses. It makes sense of what will follow here in verses, uh, lost my place, verses 21 onward into 24. 
but specifically we'll see them here in verse 19, 14 through 19. And so we'll see this from multiple angles, improved in a variety of ways. And so at hearing Jesus' teachings, the Jews, they marvel at his learning. Wow, where did he learn all these things? You know, I remember when I first came to seminary, you know, to get ready for ministry in another way. I already had been in ministry in a variety of ways up to that point. But I had just left Oklahoma and graduated from a secular university. And I finally had come to my long-awaited and longed-for time to further dive into the Scriptures and to consider the things of God on a deeper level. I was doing that in various ways before, so you're going to know my Lord and my God, my Savior. But man, I'm looking forward to this time to dive even deeper into the Word of God. So to say that I was excited would be an understatement. In fact, when I first became a believer, I was ready to go to seminary, and then I found out, well, wait a minute, you can't go there until you have uh, some sort of bachelor's and these things and all that. So I was excited. So I had waited for four years for this moment, and now it was here, and I remember my first class and how unlike my years in undergraduate studies, the professor, he begins the time... In prayer. Yes! You know, this, is, this was just food for my soul. Praise the Lord. You know, this was not what I had had, you know, before in my undergraduate studies. And then we continue on into the coursework and the books and the homework and everything else. Just, yeah, homework. But all that just caused me to marvel all the more. I am doing this to serve the saints that I will one day be serving in the future. May I learn these things well for his glory. And you know, I was certainly amazed at how much the professors knew because that's admirable to know the word of God and to know your God well. But more than that, I was overwhelmed at the wonders of God's word and the wonders of seeing the glory of God and who he is and who Christ is, what Christ has done. And so I marveled and I think, this kind of marveling at Jesus' words, learning glorious things about the incomparable God is part of how we ought to, even now, as you're sitting there in the pews, respond to glorious things. To be in awe of our God. Yet this was not why the Jews were marveling here. They were marveling at Jesus' great Knowledge. It's kind of a, an academic kind of detached marveling. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So they were not marveling at Jesus the person. They were marveling at what he knew. They were marveling at the way that he quoted from Scripture. They were marveling at the way that he handled Scripture. And it was beyond anybody else they'd ever seen. And he hadn't even sat at the feet of a rabbi to learn it all. Like they did. And he did that without citing sources as well. Which is what the scribes would do. They would come up and they would teach, you know, and they would 
found it very uh, important that they were careful to cite all their sources. In fact, it was better to be known as very unoriginal than in any way original. So they would cite source after source. Yet Jesus was not doing that. He said with authority, as we've seen again and again, but I tell you the truth. And so in response to their marveling and their words, Jesus, he, he does something here and he defers the glory to the Father. He doesn't say, which you know, we might have perhaps expected, well, yes, I, I'm a learned man, yeah. You know, he doesn't say, you think my learning is something, well, uh, you don't know the half of it. Uh, you know, I am God in the flesh. Well, he doesn't say any of that. It would have been right to say that. He is the God-man, but he doesn't. He defers glory to the Father. Even as we've seen him do again and again in chapter 5. Jesus, he said in verses 19 through 20, For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So there, in chapter 5, Jesus deferred his works to the Father. And here he defers his teachings to the Father as well. So he's saying, you want a source, well, there's my source. And this demeanor of deference and uh, magnifies kind of the deep humility and the deep submissive heart of Christ. A humility and a submission that we also are called to have. A heart that does what? Defers all glory to God. So if you marvel, marvel at God. If you marvel, see the Father testifies that Jesus is true, His authority is sure, and His teachings are certain. So similar to Jesus then, we are to defer, defer glory to God above all. You and I are to gladly defer all people, not to us, but to Jesus. People do not need more hucksters pretending to be something that they are not, nor those aiming for their own exaltation, they need people who love their Lord and defer all glory to Him. Him who deserves all the glory, doesn't He? And not us. So it isn't in presidents, it isn't in Biden or Trump or whoever it is. It isn't in any of the fading ideologies or trends of our day. They need, all people need, the steadfast anchor of their soul. And that is God alone through Christ alone. He is true. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, Pray with me, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And so Jesus, he points to the Father and defers glory to him and says in verse 17, 
If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So in other words, those who are truly seeking God's will will know Jesus is true. So how many are doing that? Well, none. We saw that last week, right? In Romans chapter 3. Quoted from there. So there is to be a seeking of God in us. But as we've already seen again and again, emphasizing the Gospel of John, that we must be born again. So given all that, given the life-giving work of the Spirit of God, here he is saying... That in order to know whether his teaching is true, whether Jesus is the real deal, there needs to be a faith-based willing on our part to do God's will. So we are to come in faith and seek his will above all. So we are to come under God's will by faith. We are to lean into him and into God's So there is to be a submission to God's will that precedes understanding God's will and his word in our lives. And perhaps as you're reading the word of God and none of it makes sense to you, it's partly because you're not really coming underneath it by faith under the God who is calling you to come underneath his will that faith then goes and seeks understanding. So prior to truly knowing, there is a God-wrought faith, and that faith goes on into understanding. That's how it works. And so if you are here this morning wanting to know God's will for our day, go to God's word. If you're here wanting to know God's will for our day, our time, in the midst of all of the events that we're seeing, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of lightning storms, in the midst of hurricanes and everything else, look to Christ. He is true. This passage is lifting this up for us. In Him, there is the seeking of God's will above all. And as we come to God's word, as you come to God's word, even now, as we're hearing it, come by faith. He graciously, as we do, helps us understand things that we would not understand nor accept otherwise. God is the one who gives understanding. You know, we read that last week. Ryan did, but hear it again from Daniel 2. In respect to what Jesus is saying here in Daniel 2.20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons like he is doing now. He removes kings and sets up kings like he is doing now. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So are you, do you have wisdom? Well, no glory to you. (laughs) Did you have a PhD? Well, no glory to you. Have you accomplished much? No glory to you still. 
He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you. So how many reasons we have to defer all glory to God as the one who is behind any knowledge that we have, any understanding we may have, any giftings that you may have, or whatever else it is to him that belongs the glory. And so this is where we see then the glory-stilling nature of pride. So Jesus, he says in verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. So pride is the fool of Proverbs. That's who that is. Pride is the person who trusts in himself, exalts himself, and claims to understand much, yet understands my oh my, so little. And he may have a PhD. Pride doesn't see the God behind all they are and all they have. So Jesus here is making plain that he is true and there is no falsehood in him. And so what does he do? He is giving all glory to him who sent him. He is glorifying the Father just like someone will do who is true and has no falsehood in him. (laughs) So aligning then ourselves with Jesus, recognizing that God made us for his glory, that's why you're alive, that's why you have a heartbeat right now, that's why you're breathing. We are the people intent upon glorifying God in all things. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, or Catechism, it says that this is the chief and highest end of man, to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. The chief aim. So John Piper, I... I respect the way that he modifies this. He modifies it this way. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So this glorifying of God, we glorify him that we may have joy. It flies in the face of the American-made person, right? And the self-made, self-sufficient, do-it-yourself attitude that we've been taught, which the church is totally contrary to that. We need each other to be part of the body of Christ. <laughs> you know, we can't do this alone. And the attitude, that, that kind of American attitude as well, that tells you to be the self-made woman and gain glory for yourself, be the self-made man and gain glory for yourself, be the self-made nation and gain glory for for yourself, be the self-made church and gain glory for yourself. Do we pray? Are we a self-made church? Yet God says, no, no. It's only in giving glory to me. 
It's only in glorifying and adoring and worshiping and exalting and making much of me through Christ that you will find true joy. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So all glory is to go to God and we rejoice. So as God sent Jesus, and Jesus seeks the glory of him who sent him, so now we are to seek the glory of the God who is sending us as those pointing and directing all people to him who is true here. As all around us people wonder about why our nation has turned as it has done down this downward spiral of sin and confusion and despair. We are set before the nations and we are to set before the nations this gospel that saves, this gospel that opens blinds, and this gospel that brings truly everlasting joy. And that's why idols are a problem. They can't give you joy. But God in whom resides infinite joy, is the one to whom we are to look. So whose glory are you aiming at? Whose glory are you seeking above all in your job, in your family, in your life? Whatever your age, whose glory are you seeking? And this leads then to our second point this morning that we are to judge aright to the glory of God. Verses 20 through 24. So the crowds, they hear him say all these things. Has not Moses given you a law? You're not keeping it. You're trying to kill me. Demon, you're a madman, Jesus. What are you talking about? Which is ironic because if they're calling him a demon... What do you do with false prophets? You kill them. So technically, ironically, they would be saying, well, we actually need to kill you if you're false too. But they don't understand all these things. Who is seeking to kill you? So as we read this, it may seem at first blush that Jesus is bringing up of Moses and the law is really just out of sorts. Where did this come from? We were going this way and now here comes Moses and the law. But if you've been following here, what Jesus has been saying so far, he is defending the point that he is true and that in him there is no falsehood at all. Remember, they were trying to kill him for a very specific reason in the Gospel of John. And so contrary to verse 24, they were not judging Jesus aright. They had concluded that Jesus had broken the law because he healed a man on the Sabbath. They still got that going. They didn't let that go. John 5.16, it meant that. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So in their mind, they're thinking, all right, Jesus is not true. He is false. He has broken the law. And so Jesus is coming and saying, no, 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 no. I am true, and here is why. 
bring up Moses and the law and the Sabbath and circumcision. (laughs) So here then, Jesus answers their accusations and he does this first by showing that his healing on the Sabbath did not nullify his authenticity. So Jesus' argument here is from the lesser to the greater. So, a lot to explain here. So Jesus is challenging their practice, the lesser, circumcising on the Sabbath. We'll talk about that in a second. With his healing, the greater. So let me explain. Now, according to the law, a newborn son was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Leviticus 12.3. However... A little problem arose here. If he was born on the Sabbath day, that meant that he would either need to be circumcised on the Sabbath day or on the following day. So the Jews, they thought it better that they don't break that command and they go ahead and circumcise children on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is challenging them here That if circumcision on the Sabbath day is okay, making someone whole, which is how they viewed it, going from not perfect to now being circumcised and being perfect, then him doing the greater thing and wholly healing the man on the Sabbath day is most certainly right. That's his point. But Jesus is also saying more here. Jesus is showing that in him is true wholeness and rest. Here is him of whom circumcision pointed. Here is him who comes to fulfill circumcision. So circumcision, it it regularly reminded the Israelites of God's promise of offspring. I will multiply your offspring, Abraham. And it continually reminded them of that, and that of this offspring, there would finally come someone in the future who would crush the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15. So they're waiting, circumcision all the time, the same kind of emphasis again and again. There's a seed to come, someone's coming and will come, who will come to fulfill these things. And Jesus is saying, well, here is that offspring. I am the fulfillment of circumcision of the offspring of the one to come who will crush the serpent's head. And that is what I've come to do. I am true. And then also, we see he is, and here is him who comes to fulfill the Sabbath also. Just as he was the promised one to come and fulfill circumcision, he is the one who comes to give true rest to weary bodies and weary souls. And his rest is true rest. And this is why Paul, he says in Colossians 2, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you and question questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, like my shadow on the floor. But the substance belongs to 
Christ. The shadow points to me. Those things pointed to Christ. So Jesus comes to fulfill both of these things. And so we are called then to judge a right, and they are called to judge a right, that in Christ there is true life and true rest forever. Jesus is true. In him there are not two options for life and for wholeness. Mess is not wholeness. Chaos is not wholeness. Hope in shakable kingdoms is not wholeness. It is Christ and Christ alone. We are Through Him we are given life and we are made whole and will be made whole forever. Jesus is true. And in Him is true rest. And some of you need rest this morning. I mean, how many in our nation need rest this morning? How many need Christ this morning? And Jesus gives us rest that is marked, unobtainable, unreachable within this world. Friends, this world will not last, but Christ will. So are you resting in Christ this morning? There's a story told of how one man, and you might have heard it before, one man challenged his friend to a you know, wood chopping contest. You know, and they both agreed, all right, let's, let's do this. We're going to have this competition. And so they began you know, chopping their hearts away or chopping their hearts out. And the challenger, he, he labored, he long and hard and barely stopped even for a brief lunch. You know, he's trying to get as much done as he can and beat his friend While his friend, on the other hand, he did pretty much exactly the opposite. He had taken a long lunch. He had taken time to enjoy it. And even he took a couple of breaks throughout the day. So when all was said and done, the challenger, you know, as you would wonder, he's exasperated at his friend. He looks over and he sees that his friend has not only cut wood, a lot of wood, he's cut much more wood than he has. Like it's not even close competition wise. And so he says to his friend, I don't get it. And every time I looked up, you were taking a rest. How did you chop more wood than me? Well, his friend, you know, replied, well, well, you labored long and hard without rest. And I, I rested. And while I rested, I was sharpening my axe. That's why I cut more wood than you. Now some of you have been taken into much labor. And your days are filled with all variety of things. But you have not been resting in Christ. Your hearts are weighed down. Your weeks are laborious. Yet you're drowning and your axes are dull. And you aren't getting the job done. Well, God, he is calling you to step back and see him who came to give you life, give you wholeness, and give you true rest in Christ, in Christ alone. So may you this morning, maybe you've been aiming your life at your glory. Well, today God is calling you to aim it at glorifying him 
and watch how your joy will grow. Maybe you've been trying to find life and wholeness from a world that can't give that. It doesn't offer that. A broken down world. Well, today God is calling you to find life and wholeness in the whole Christ. And maybe you've been trying to find rest from a restless world. Well, today God is calling you to rest in Christ. So may you see Christ as true this morning as he has showed us. Make, may you make a right judgment. Let's pray. Father, we come and we, all of us, I pray as our heads are bowed and you would help us, Father, become ready and just humbling ourselves now that we would, having heard your word, go on to the right step of asking the questions your word has called us to ask. Whose glory are we seeking? In what or who are we seeking wholeness? Is it in our children? Have we made them our idols? Is it in our grandchildren? Have we found our joy in them above you? Is it in our trophies? successes, notoriety, our houses or cars or stuff is in our spouse. Have we supplanted you for these things? So help us, Lord, to ask these questions of ourselves this moment and ask the other questions as well. In whom Are we seeking wholeness and rest? Help us to not go about with unsharpened axes, dull, but help us rest in our Savior. In Him is true rest and peace and life and hope to do things we can never do. So help us, Father. And if there's anyone here or listening online who does not know Christ this morning, may they see that Jesus is indeed true, that Jesus is indeed the one who has come to give them life, that though their sins have separated them from you, this day they can have life, this day there is salvation in Christ. And so may they look to your son, believe and repent and trust in him as their life, Lord and treasure. So, Father, we pray for your grace as we respond with a song. May you help us to respond truly. In Jesus' name, amen.